Yo, welcome to the Brain Hole Podcast. This is episode 13, Optimum Legitness, son. Thank you for listening. Let's do this shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're here with C Rider. Um, she's my first host on the Brain Hole Podcast, this is episode 13. I should have checked with you. Do you hear me okay? Yes, I can hear you. Okay, cool. Um, and uh, so this is going to be something totally new for me, and I don't think she's been on a podcast before either, so here we go. Um, she's uh, an artist based out of Minneapolis, uh, Hmong American artist, and we just wanted to have a conversation. So uh, I guess my first question was like, because this was a question that I want, I would like somebody to ask me. Um, when was the first memory of when you started drawing? Uh, I would have to say as early as toddler age. Um, I would have to say growing up, all I really had was like just computer paper and a pencil. I mean, we couldn't afford much. Yeah. And I think what really set me off, I just remember drawing like Humpty Dumpty looking people. It was like an egg. Uh, shape with like limbs and my dad complimented me on it hmm. and I think ever since then it you know I just kept it up like hey that's cool he said I'm really good at this and then you know you consistently hear it from teachers at school too so you know why not yeah that's you know hone in on that that's kind of how it happened with me too uh, I always remember <laughs> being encouraged by my my mom and dad um, my mom actually still has a picture of when I was probably four or five of all four Ninja Turtles that I drew and it's funny that you said that they're like <laughs> eggs that you drew, because that's exactly yeah. what mine looked like, too. They're eggs with limbs, and can they had do... masks on. Can you name all of them? Yeah, of course. I have a t-shirt on right now. Leonardo, Michelangelo, okay. Donatello, Raphael. Mm-mm. Yeah, and I think that cool. was always something that interested me, too, because I later learned on that, hey, the names of my favorite cartoon characters are... Uh, artists and painters and you know right yeah and you know when the movie came out with real actors and like i think it was like the early stages of like cgi if it even existed back then uh that what there was no cgi in that movie really it was yeah. all like people Ru- in costumes rubber suits um their faces they made it with animatronics so their heads were literally robots going wow but you know the funniest thing is that out of all of all the characters who i remember the most was the pizza guy because he was asian oh okay so that was the second <laughs> one yeah that's oh, um, the second one okay yeah that kid he played leonardo in the first movie and then they brought him back so that he was the pizza kid in um in the second I one i know that yeah, that was a really, really good movie. And then it just kind of went downhill after that, though. I mean, the music, too, was awesome. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, every time I hear even just that. What, the... <laughs> what was that pizza song? <laughs> Do you remember? No, I haven't watched that one in a while. Okay, yes, that's what I remember, because I'd never really seen any Asian actors mm-hmm. appear in movies so when he showed up on the scene i was like whoa that can happen right so. yeah <laughs> so i'm assuming you kind of grew up in a mostly white white area 
Um, I actually grew up, so I was born in Fresno, California. Okay. Uh, one of uh, three, I'm the third of seven kids. And in the early 90s, my dad actually moved us across the country to North Carolina. And yeah, so I, I mean, I grew up in a primarily white town. It's a, I mean, it's a very low key, you know, just there, people just like held their own, you know, gardening, farming, uh, textiles was a huge thing in North Carolina. Uh, it wasn't a whole lot in like arts, uh-huh. you know? So I, I mean, in a way I felt like my ambition was just too big for that small town. Like I wanted to move to New York, you know, I wanted to be a fashion designer. I wanted to live that life. How old were you? Um, when, how old were you when you had that idea? Uh, all through grade school and all through middle school. I remember because every year in career class, I think it's like career exploratory or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, we had to write down every year what we want to aspire to be. Like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And the only thing that I was super passionate about at the time was fashion designing. Although I couldn't afford any of the labels, I just thought that, you know, just the aesthetics and, you know, the fact that it's clothing and you get to express yourself through fashion and your garments. Mm-hmm. But then I grew up and I realized that that's just unattainable because you have to know people, you have to have money, you know, you have to be pretty much like rich and famous. Like people have to sought after, you know, you have to be sought after. And yeah. I just felt like that just wasn't for me. Like it's just too materialistic. You got it. Yeah. It's, it's one of those, um, those industries where you got to kind of already be in it in a way. Exactly. Like it, said, it has to be like some form of nepotism or, you know, you have to like be associated with someone who, you know, actually really love your work. So I think a small percentage of that really is talent. The right. rest is just, you know, reputation mm-hmm. and so um did were you drawing a lot of uh designs and stuff back then or was it just something that kind of hung out in your head um you know when i was i think i was we were already living in north carolina one of the the most distinct memories of drawing fashion was when my dad bought me a ream of computer paper like printer paper yeah for my birthday and I guarded that thing like it was gold and I had my Crayola uh, colored pencils. It wasn't like the 12 pack. It wasn't the 24 pack either. I think it had like 48 different colors in there. Oh, nice. And I arranged them by class. Like every time I draw, I had like a ritual Uh where I would line them up in like color, you know, like the different color classes. Yeah. And then I would, so in, you know, I don't know if you've ever seen a Hmong living room, but the TV is like a mile away from the furniture. Oh yeah, dude. I grew up in Hmong houses. (laughs) (laughs) So I had plenty of room to lay down in front of the TV. And I knew that Miss America was coming on and they were going to like, they're going to be wearing their gowns. Right. Yeah. And I wanted to, uh, illustrate all the different designs that I saw. So like every time, uh, one of the contestants would walk across the stage as they were being introduced. I remember like quickly like sketching like the, the form of their dress, the color, everything. Like I had to like take a, a snapshot because it didn't last that long. Right. Um, you couldn't that do was yarn one of my, <laughs> yeah, that was one of my um, most distinct memories about fashion design. And then I did go on to, um, to do it, present 
the history of fashion for my senior project in high school. And then thereafter, I kind of just left it like, whatever. Right. I don't want to do this anymore. I was always, I was always intrigued because, you know, you see, as a kid, you see that there's things that exist out there. And I was always intrigued when, um, like, the first few times that I saw people actually in a workshop and they were uh, creating these dresses and clothes for, it was mostly for movies that I would see these in. And they would have stencils and just a bunch of people working together on one project. And I always thought that was pretty cool and amazing. Anything that involved creating something from nothing uh, really caught my attention. Oh, definitely. And, you know, also, you know, having immigrant parents, they expect you to, um, you know, aspire to be a doctor or a lawyer. I mean, that's such a broken record. Yeah, dude. My mom was always like, oh, your hands, they look like doctor's hands. And then I got old enough to where I was like, what the fuck does that mean, dude? (laughs) Right, right. But then, I mean, like making art or, you know, talking about like, you know, making outfits and things like that, clothing, that all seems like child's play. You know, right, right. Like they're they're waiting for you to graduate away from drawing because that's all you do. And then, you know, once they start to see that, hey, you know, they're pretty good. They're compensated for the work. It's legit. You know, uh, at that at that point, then they started, you know, encouraging me even more like that's so cool that you're able to do that. You know, you don't have to work so hard mm-hmm. and uh, you're happy. Physically. Yes. Exactly. Yes, that that does play a big part in being able to create art. If you're always really angry or you're not in your right mind, it's tough to produce things because you're going to hate everything that yeah. you produce. Exactly. You know, it's weird. My older sister, she's a really good painter. I can send you some of her stuff. Um, but she's kind of the opposite. She likes to, uh, she somehow, she tells me she does better when uh, she doesn't feel good, when she's stressed or depressed. And I'm like, that's so strange. Or like when she's bellowing in her own depression. Yes, I. that's worked for me too in the past. <laughs> and it, it, you create a lot of beautiful things out of that place. But for me personally, it's like my room needs to be clean. My desk area needs to be completely clean. My head needs to be clear. I need to be in a good mood, yeah. motivated, inspired. Uh, music or TV needs to be cracking in the background. Uh, everything needs to be right, you know. And so it's just... It's total opposite of me, but I get it. I understand it. Yeah, I think it all depends. I mean, I think that the best art is produced when you're passionate about it. And if it sparks, you know, something in you to Mm -hmm. want to create it. Um, There are times, you know, when I create art when I'm bored, I'm not doing anything. And it's just aimless. There's really no goal in sight. That can turn out well, too. But, I mean, it is really just your mindset. Like, if you... I mean, like... just recently, I started to paint a mural, and one of the things that I thought about was when I first started drawing, I just would never finish something in fear of it being a disappointment or not being exactly what I had pictured or envisioned. Um, but, you know, I, I feel like two years ago, I my, one of my goals for the year, you know, you, you set those New Year's resolutions. Mm-hmm. One of my resolutions was to finish what I started. And so... To do that, I bought a sketchbook that was, you know, just a, a regular-sized uh, moleskin. Mm-hmm. And I, um, you know, made it a goal to draw a picture and finish it to its entirety. And I think that once I was able to do that three times, I mean, even if I wanted to give up, I had to tell myself, I have to keep on going. 
you know, I'm not going to quit on this because if Keep I quit, it's gonna, every time I open up, yeah, every time I open up this page, it's just going to be incomplete and the rest of my art is going to be that way. So, um, you know, just finishing a, just small wins, tackling small wins really helps with, um, you know, completing something. And as an artist yourself, you have to know when to stop. So do you think that has something to do with the, because I look at some of your, in their watercolors, most of the ones that I've seen, right? Okay, so do you think that has something to do with how you have so many different things going on in in one page versus having just one subject? Uh, You know, I've I've actually struggled with that for a long time, and I think I've finally found my footing on that. Um, I think, you know, I mean, the saying, master of all, master of none. Yeah, that's been told to me so many times. But my theory is... That if you're good at the craft, if you perfect the craft, it does not matter what medium you're using. You should be able to create that from anything. You know, it's all in your mind. It's all in your mind and your willingness. Mm -hmm. And practice, practice, practice. Like, don't think that, oh, just because you've created a piece and you finished it, it's going to be the best and nothing else is going to compare to it. Um, I, I still think that you can do better. You can learn more. You know what I mean? Like... For example, I went from, I mean, I switched from typography, calligraphy to watercolor, and then I switched back to digital. You know, I, in a in the uh, length of a day, I can probably dabble with like five or six different mediums, and, you know, the results are still consistent, right. <laughs> you know? Right, that's cool. So it's really about perfecting the craft and not necessarily, I mean, each medium comes with its own properties, but you can't. You can't focus too much on that. You have to focus on, you know, how you're using it, uh, you know, to its, its what, what it's intended to do. Um, you can even explore it further, you know, and make it mix all the media, you know. I mean, there's really no rules when it comes to art. Mm-hmm. So what's what are your favorite things? I, let's not say in general, because I'm sure that it that it's changed throughout the years. Like right now, what is the one thing I guess that makes you um that makes you really excited once you start whatever it is that you're painting. Drawing food. <laughs> I was I hit that phase for a little while. A lot of sushi and bowls of noodles and rice. I yes. <laughs> I hit that phase uh, a few years ago. Well I do love um going into my garden and, you know, studying the types of plants, the leaves, how it grows, you know, what type of sun it needs shade you know what kind of conditions it grows in and you know i love just illustrating the actual ingredients and then i mean the dishes it's it's cool to like have it all come together but i really truly love just like shining the light on each ingredient and the versatility of each of the ingredients that yeah. I illustrate yeah i see that a lot in your yeah, art it's really cool i love it because it's like it's, hey this is how it begins you know right and I mean, another thing too is being able to illustrate ingredients that are not commonly used mm-hmm. in the you know publications that you see, like Foods Illustrated, or if you were to Google something, you never come up with like a watercolor drawing of a mong dish. No, right? So, and it, why dude, not it pisses me to create that? I gotta be honest, it pisses me off because I haven't had mong food for so long, and. And I just, I'm just like, dude, I, I need to make, meet up with one of my friends and make their mom cook for me because 
It's been, dude, since I was a teenager, so. What was your favorite? Uh, Glumpau. Just the meat inside the rice, uh, the rice bread. And I actually had a deer intestine once, and that was pretty good. The dumpling? Yeah. Uh, did you know I just made some this morning? <laughs> I was going to ask, what did you make today? But I didn't want to, I didn't want to get all jealous on you. But I was oh, going to no, ask, I, what did you cook? I actually got up, you know, I didn't have to get up until like a little later, but then I had a meeting this morning. So I uh, got up and I was like, hey, what do I have and what can I make? Because I've been so busy that it's been tough to coordinate dinner and all of that. So my family has been, you know, on ramen and eggs and stuff, yeah. sandwiches. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, so I decided, hey, you know, I mean, that that's one of the things I love to do is, just impromptu cooking, just improv it, go in the fridge, see what you can find, create something. And I really thought about, I hadn't made bows in a long time. So mm. just because I had something, I had most of the ingredients and I was like throwing stuff together. I had my kitchen ate out. I was mixing the dough. Then I realized, oh crap, I'm out of eggs. So I had to find a substitute for it and I ended up using cornstarch, but it worked out. Cool. That's, that's dope. <laughs> it worked out. That's dope. You'll have to send me, uh, send me the recipe because that's probably that was probably one of my most favorite things that I've ever tasted. He, one of my friends, his name is Da. He, you're actually friends with his brother on Facebook, Leah. Uh, he goes Who here. Is it? Uh, Leah, Leah Shang. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, his yeah. brother. Like when we were kids, his brother comes out and he's like, um, "Here, my mom made these. You can try. You can here. You can. This is for you." And I tasted it. And I'd never eaten anything like that at that point. I was probably 13 or 14. And the bread was yeah, so soft and the inside was so sweet, delicious yeah. and sweet. Yeah, I dude. know, right? It's a lot, you know, it's different from the Chinese barbecue bowls because, yeah. I mean, the filling, I mean, essentially the outer uh, flour, mm -hmm. the dumpling itself is the same, but the, the filling is what's different. And I also saw this uh, ripoff that taste made had posted a while ago i can't remember when it was but mm -hmm. they put fucking ham and cheese in there and i'm like no 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 no. oh what the hell <laughs> like are you trying to elevate this recipe or something because it's not working no Don't you do just that. turned it into a craft and cheese project <laughs> that sucks i mean i can appreciate the creativity you know and like the melding of like different foods but that just does not go well no it, no, it doesn't and it's like bro just have a burger okay <laughs> Right, right, exactly. Like, just get your bread, put that on there, eat it that way. Don't try to make it all ethnic. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, do you do you work? Is this your job? The painting and stuff like uh, that. Uh, you know, I actually work a full time job um, in a corporate world. Mm -hmm. I work. I'm what I do full time has nothing to do with art. Right. I work in transportation. So, <laughs> so that so that's good because that that fuels your yeah. Artwork. I mean, you tap into different parts of your brain because you know at work I tap more into like the analytical side because right. I have to look at data. I have to you know take a look at distance and calculate a lot of different things. Um, but then when I'm making art, it's pretty much just what I envision. Like if I somewhat if the client says, "Hey, here's what I'm looking for." You know, I usually ask the question of, okay, what's the what's the end goal? What would you like? Yeah. You know, and I usually can get a pretty good grasp just through 
uh, just verbal communication mm-hmm. um, regarding what they what the client is looking for. But that doesn't require too much, you know. I mean, it's it's already taking in reference what my previous art and what I have in my portfolio, mm-hmm. and then transposing it onto whatever the needs are of the the client. But yeah, I mean, two totally different things: an analytical side and then creativity side. That's good. I think I think shit like that keeps you alive. That diversity. So. Oh, absolutely. You know, I mean, I I respect the hell out of artists that have just one main focus, and that's like their lifelong journey is exploring that one subject. I can't do that. I mean, I feel like I have undiagnosed ADHD at times <laughs> because it's always chasing after a shiny object, you know, like, yeah. okay, well, I'm done with this, you know, or I'm supposed to be doing this, but... I see a blank canvas and I'm like, oh my gosh, I haven't painted with acrylics in a long time. Let me do that. You know, I mean, there are some pros and cons to that because, I mean, pros are you keep that creative juice flowing. Yeah. You know, you're able to, to do whatever, pick up, you know, pick back up, leave something where it's at, come back to it. You know, but the, the cons would be if you, get, if you get too focused in on one thing, you'll forget about the rest and then you're in trouble. Yeah. Yeah. Especially if there are contracts involved, you know? No, exactly. Yeah. And that's kind of when you got to push your, uh, push what you want to do away and kind of focus on what you need to do. Um, So what are your... Yes. And you have to be your own boss, you know? Yeah, exactly. And you don't have anybody like telling you, you got to do this, you got to do this now. And so you have to create a... God, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, Well, it doesn't matter. Um, what are your meetings with your publisher like? Do you does your art go in local magazines and shit like that? Is that what I'm understanding? Um, I actually just finished illustrations for a children's book uh, by the famous author. She's here in uh, St. Paul as well, Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Um, she wrote a beautiful book about uh, debt, you know, grieving, and I I thought that that was like the most amazing thing because it's such a controversial thing to talk about with kids, especially debt. We're all going to have to deal with that. Yeah. What's that? I was just confirming with, yeah, with debt. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. With that. And you know, it me, everyone goes through it at any stage of your life, you know? So, um, illustrating it was a lot, you know, there, it was a lot of emotional, you know, things involved. I couldn't get through reading it without crying because I mean, I don't think it's not like, you know, such a weakling, but it's true. It, it gets to me because not that I've ever lost, a, you know, like a someone young, but in my life, but it's just more so, you know, applying it to your own life and being empathetic about it and immersing yourself in that world while you're, you know, illustrating because you have to be in that moment. And it was kind of tough for me, but, you know, I got through it. It took a year in total with the conceptual stages, the, um, you know, just, meeting of the minds, going through the content and, you know, having creative freedom over how I would portray such a beautiful book. Right. Uh, or such a beautiful writing. But yeah, so I do that. And then, I mean, I'm always working on different things simultaneously. I mean, usually have like four or five different things on top of being a mom and having a full-time job. But, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's, if the will is there, you're going to be able to do it. Was, you just have to be willing. Was that book, um, was doing that book, uh, did you have a lot of pressure? Did you feel a lot of pressure doing that? I did. I, it, you know, I went in stages because 
I went from super ecstatic when I first, you know, was presented with the opportunity. Like, I'm right. just some rookie-ass artist. Uh-huh. I don't know if you chose the right person because... I'm not going to be able to do this. You that, know, that's and the thing just, about us. Like we don't, we don't really carry around this this certain confidence that most people would in other uh, industries or whatever. We're always a little bit insecure, aren't we? When especially oh, when we're definitely. working for somebody else. Yeah. Yes, that and I mean, it's 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 almost like respect. You know, you earn respect. You don't demand respect. Exactly. It's very so, humbling. You know, I apply that same concept to being able to look at a project when you're presented with an opportunity and you say, oh, I can definitely do this. Or, oh, hell no, 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 this is not going to work. You know, uh-huh. and it's, about, it's being selective and, you know, knowing what you're able to do and leaving what, you know, you, you're not going to be able to do. If you know right away, you're not going to be able to do that. Like if someone were to ask me to create like a, you know, a 30 minute animation on, let's say gaming, I would have, you know, I would not have a starting point. I have no interest in that. (laughs) It would not work out. And see, that would be like right up my alley. That's exactly something that I would want to do. Yeah, no. (laughs) (laughs) That's cool. Do Do you listen to music or anything while you're painting or is it just quiet? I do. I love, I mean, I think music really sets the mood and the ambiance mm-hmm. for whatever piece I'm working on. So sometimes if I'm feeling down and I really need a pick-me-up, I listen to some hip-hop music, you know, because it makes you, I mean, hip-hop music does something to you. It, it makes you cocky. Yeah, it brings put, up your It puts your, your chest spirit. up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I get it. Like, fuck you, motherfuckers. Because most I'll of do the this. time, right, we're most, <laughs> like they're a little angry, but a lot of times you're just talking about, Look, I have this. I have, I have a car. Look at my girls. You know, here's what I'm able to get, Being and that kind of like, you know, help boost your confidence. Like, oh, if they can do it, <laughs> you know, sure. you, you're after essentially not the exactly the same thing necessarily, but you know, you, you think about their demeanor. Like, oh, yeah. okay, they're go getters. Okay, but mm-hmm. then there are times when I just really want to just wind down and listen to like, you know, coffee shop music or yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, just acoustic you know acoustic music and things like that but that's a little bit more calm no for sure i for me personally i would always just have um like lord of the rings or matrix or something like that playing in the background because those are the kind of things that i draw i draw a lot of sci-fi stuff so i think i did think did you say nature no uh uh lord of the rings and the matrix Oh, okay. I was yeah. gonna say. Gonna <laughs> Sorry, say, my voice like, is pointed at no, the microphone. No, no, I don't think so. I haven't seen that from you. <laughs> like no. you're just in the middle of the forest, listening to the nature sounds. No, no, <laughs> no. I I don't tend to go outside very often. <laughs> oh man, that's funny. Um, but yeah, that's that's typically the kind of stuff that I would have going on in the background to to inspire me to go. There was this one summer where all I watched was Blade Runner over and over again because I was so into the the way that the guy drew the backgrounds and the cityscapes and all that right. this was like right before I, I actually went to college to to be a conceptual art and designer and and yeah that didn't work out and it was so intimidating when you're around these all these people that are clearly so much better than you that was a uh, pretty right. diff- that was pretty discouraging. Cause like, dude, you have to compete with these people to get in the industry. 
oh yeah, it's a dog eat dog world out there. You know, I think that it's part, and I just, I mean, I was telling my husband the other day, like, I feel like, you know, to make your mark and to be noticed or to have people notice your work, you know, you have to, to carry yourself a certain way where you're still yourself. You still hold, you're still grounded by, you know, your values and what you believe in. And you can't let that down. You have to own that. Right. But, you know, there's also another um, piece to it and it's ingenuity. Like, are you doing what everybody else is doing or are you doing your own thing? Exactly. And is it too eccentric for people to understand or is it just right there where you want to appeal to those that are just as weird as you, Mm -hmm. you know? (laughs) And it's strange because you, you know, especially you have, you have to try to figure out what, what you want to do and what you want to be known for. Yes, because I've never, I've never claimed to fame, you know, the fact that, oh, I'm a Hmong artist and I make strictly Hmong art because that's not necessarily what it's about. I think that, you know, any art that I create with my heritage intact is because it's based on my personal experiences, you know. Mm-hmm. I'm not qualified to speak on behalf of the Hmong people, you know, the Hmong population. Yeah. I, I'm not the one to define what Hmong art is, and that's what's tough, you know, is what is Hmong art? Is it folk art? Is it, you know, embroidery? Is it, you know, whatever form it is, you know, I mean, it, there really is a huge thing, you know, around that. And I, I'm not, I'm not qualified to, to speak on behalf, you know, I just create based off of my experiences. Yeah, I, I personally haven't seen a lot of uh, Hmong art before. The the most that I've really seen in the culture is the, is the clothing, the, the traditional clothing. And that's probably the most art that I've seen. I've seen some paintings and stuff like that, but they never really struck me. And what I love about what you do is uh you capture moments and you and especially when you're when you're doing people you capture the essence of who they are like when i see your paintings i'm like i feel like i know this person somewhat you know as if i think you know what i mean so i don't need to explain further yes but yes that I is do, such a i i think that's one of the first things that my one of my brothers actually had pointed out like Wow, you've really captured the emotion or like the the moment. Yeah. And I and it didn't really occur to me until like I started going back and looking at some of my art like yeah, if a uh, you know, if I'm drawing someone crying, you got to get all the features right. You got to get the eyes to align with the the you know, the facial expression, the mouth, you know, mm-hmm. how it's turned upturned or you know, the shape of the face or like everything. You have to really study people in order to be able to capture those things otherwise if you're blind to those things or you're not aware it could really go south (laughs) it's kind of it's kind of fun when you're doing people's faces like that because after you're done you're like i feel like i know your face better than you will ever know your face because you have to study it so you have to study a face unlike anything else that you draw because oh yeah and a face is never the same that's one of the things too you know, is drawing, you know, your subject. Mm-hmm. Drawing your subject, to me, it felt like, holy crap. I mean, it, I, I think it, I, I think I came to the realization about maybe six or seven years ago when I started making art again, because um, I had been so immersed in the corporate world and my management job that it just fell away from me. And plus, you know, raising three kids in my 20s, like I spent the entire, my entire 20s just raising babies 
And I felt like, you know, when they they started to be a little bit more independent, I started to focus, you know, I came back to art, started focusing on it more. And, um, you know, I, I really feel like it, it is just a craft that you have to be able to know whether or not it's something you want to do. You know, it, you have to be passionate about it is basically what I'm saying. Yeah, 100%. Because you don't, you don't ever want it to feel like work. Because you already have a job. Right, exactly. You already have work. Yep. <laughs> That's true. That's and, true. No, I find that to be amazing. I mean, I don't have any kids. I don't have a girl. I go to work and the rest of the time is mine. And sometimes I can't find the time to do certain things, which uh, makes me sound really quite stupid considering what you just told me. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but I think that's badass. And uh, my older sister is the same way. She's got her job. She has her kids that she has to worry about. And yet she still finds that time to 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 do her paintings. It's pretty cool right now. She's doing paintings for like strong women. Uh, so she's doing a lot of Marvel or co- at least comic book art. Uh, females uh and she just finished two of them and i'll send them to you That's so you can amazing. take it dude they're sick they're so sick i'll send them to you so you can take a look at them uh but yeah oh, that's, that's so she, amazing that's what she's up to and so you telling me that just kind of reminded me me of that yeah for sure for sure i'd love to see it it is i mean it really it all is a balancing act because you know mm-hmm. i've been asked like like, why do you draw so much? Or, like, do you draw every day? Like, you're always, like, posting stuff on your Instagram. Yeah. You know, I look at Instagram, like, it's kind of like a public diary, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, I illustrate what I feel. And because sometimes it's hard. I mean, even as a kid, you know, you're the quiet Asian kid in class. No one really talks to you. You're just kind of like a weirdo. And so you're, it's hard for you to trust people enough to connect with them because they're not willing to either or they don't know they're not inclined to right um you know and that really forced it forced me to draw what i was feeling you know like that's how i expressed myself and so when i do post a lot of things i post a drawing i draw every day so it's hard not to be able to share that yeah of course whether it be a random recipe to you know uh you know, conceptual graphic novel that I want to illustrate one day or whether it be just, you know, lettering, you know, I don't care. I'm going to show it. I'm not ashamed of it. Yeah. It's, it's about not censoring yourself so much to the point where you're, you know, like people are like, oh, well, she's kind of like closed up. Um, or, you know, if you put yourself out there too much, which I don't really think there's such a thing, <laughs> you know. Uh, yeah. People, yeah, they they need that that mystery somehow to still fall back on. Of course, I, like like we were talking about earlier, there's always a really good balance of those things, you know. Yes. So, yeah. question because now when when I find people that listen to podcasts, it's like finding a, a unicorn, okay? Because <laughs> it's hard to yeah. find anybody that really does. So, when did you start listening? And which one was it? Is it the rest? When did I start what? When did you start listening to podcasts? Um, you know, I want to say I started about seven or eight years ago. All right. That's about and me too. Yeah. It, and, you know, it was not a popular thing at all. No. It was. Even still. It dude. was kind of like, yeah, it was like a, it was like kind of like an unknown thing. And it was like, 
for me, it was just an annoyance that that icon kept popping up on my required apps, you know, on my yeah. phone. I'm like, what the hell is this? Like, I have no idea. Why would I want to listen to people talk? Right. Because <laughs> you know? that's literally what it you know, is. You're, yeah, it's either radio or TV. And mm-hmm. there was nothing else in between. So when I discovered uh, a podcast, um, I don't. Even, I think it was maybe NPR or something. I was listening to, and then um, the story podcast, The Mott. I was listening to that a lot because it was. I think it was a part of NPR. But I started listening to that, and then I discovered true crime, and I was. I would binge while I'm working on art, or if I'm just going for a walk. That's all I would listen to. And so it just became a part of my daily routine. Like, I have to listen to it. And I even got my kids involved with it, too. Like, we love listening to NYC Studios, Spooked. It's a podcast about ghost storytelling. Cool. And paranormal. Mm-hmm. It's pretty cool. I listened to one called uh, Scare You to Sleep. And I literally listened. What is it? To... It's called Scare You to Sleep. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's kind of like that, too. They just, uh, people submit horror stories and the girl reads it in a really like quiet and very soft voice, you know, and it's very calming. Oh so. yeah. I can't, <clears throat> I can't do, yeah. The, the absolutely no for me would be like those drama ones where they have people, you know, characterize. Uh, oh yeah. No, I don't like, I don't like those either. Cause then it just turns into a show and I don't like the feeling yeah, of that. I don't like them. I'm sorry. Yeah. I don't like them. I like oh. the real talk. I like things like risk, which, you know, we went to last night. Yeah. Uh, I love listening to Rogan because I always learn something or two. Mm-hmm. And I love the way he just liberally does his ads. Like, he really doesn't give a shit about who's right. or who he's offending. Right. Um, well, because he's I also his own boss. To Tiger he Belly. Yeah, I, I just <laughs> started listening. one lis- of my favorites. I just started listening to Bobby Lee a little bit ago. But I, he's always been around oh, you did? in my life. Yeah. Uh, from he, oh, yeah, when he started definitely. in Mad TV, he was just one of my favorite characters. Yeah. Um, Oh, yeah. And, you know, I never get tired of listening to his stories because, you know, through uh, the podcast, I just search for Bobby Lee and then, you know, all sorts of different comedians that he's worked with or that he's, you know, grown up with. Yeah. Um, You know, in his formative years, I I thoroughly enjoy all of their interactions because here's the thing I love. I think I love most about comedians is that they don't give two shits. And they don't care who they offend, and they're not easily offended either. It, that's what I appreciate too. And you know, with somebody like Bobby Lee, he—he's—I'm sure you know—he's been through so much shit, like bad stuff, that destroy people's yeah. lives. And some of the things that have happened to him, when they happen to other people, they just—they don't—they stop. Their life is done. They can't move forward. And the way that he talks about right. these tragedies that has happened in his life, how lighthearted. But at the same same time, you can still feel that, fuck, man, this shit happened to me, you know? But it's lighthearted. At the same time, you can laugh with him about it. Um, right. I like how he I like how he talks about those certain things. And it's like, damn, dude, you still got a smile on your face. I'm sure you got bad days just like the rest of us. But, you know, he particularly has gone. I, he told a story when he first started um, Mad TV that he went on there so coked out that they fired him and eventually they hired him back on the show. Well, yeah, cause he, he was playing, uh, Connie Chung yeah. on a live filming <laughs> and he shit his pants. That was it. That's, and... That was it, dude. 
literally yes, shit the, his pants. You know, I, I've never heard people laugh so hard while telling a story about how you were molested as a kid. Yep, that's kind of what I was referring you to. You know? Yeah, dude. <laughs> like, I just, it just blew my mind. Like, how can people sit there and laugh so hard about it? And, you know, that actually has helped me with my own struggles and, you know, stuff that I've struggled with in the past. I'm not saying like a perfect person. You know, you, you go through your own things. And, you know, I was able to sit down with one of my best friends and we were talking about our teenage turmoils. And we were able to just crack up and laugh about everything. And then after we were done, I felt this sort of energy that I've never felt before. It was almost like cathartic. Yeah. You know? Well, that's how that's that how hate. it should be. It, when yeah. we go through shit, you're supposed to learn learn from it you're not supposed to be stuck in that feeling for the rest of your life and be traumatized you learn from it right and it's going to help somebody else in the future because you don't know somebody that's going to go through the same thing and you can be like look i've been through this let's laugh about it because right now it feels like the worst thing in the world but two weeks from now three weeks from now it's not going to matter and and then you'll be able to grow and learn and and then you'll be that person for somebody else and that's that's and kinda, move that's... on from it, you know, and like Bobby Lee, he he moved on from like such a tough thing and also being in the eye of the media. Mm-hmm. I mean, you were probably he was probably lesser known, but at the same time, his struggle was warranted by him overcoming, you know, whatever addictions that he had right. or like whatever he was going through. And he's still, you know, he's funny as hell. He's so funny. Yeah, and Jesus, you know, when he's talking about the molesting thing, he's like, I, I just, I, I just wanted candy, you know, and that was the premise of the story. Like, he just wanted candy. Fund it. Yeah, Fund yeah. It. Those... <laughs> Holy shit, dude! And he just says it like he's reciting the alphabet, like it's whatever, you know. Or like he's ordering a breakfast sandwich. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, dude. It's just so nonchalant, <laughs> and uh, I think that's really important for people to be able to come to terms so they lighten can, up so they can yeah, yeah so they can move up. on because my mom is one of these people where things have happened in her life and they still they're still happening 30 40 years later they're still happening to her in her head it's so fucking sad yeah. to watch so sad to watch no i know i mean i think that people go at their own pace because i think where i get my humor from is my own mom because she's and my dad, my dad's very sarcastic. He's not a man of many words, but he's very sarcastic. Mm-hmm. My mom takes it to another level. I mean, she's just so honest. You know, I mean, she she really, like, elevates her humor without really trying. She'll yeah. just say what's on her mind. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, well, that's, that's the best because it's natural and it actually it comes from a good and honest place. And that's the best comedy. Exactly. That's the best comedy. I mean... She didn't really have others to, I guess, like, she didn't have the influence of, you know, like, her, anyone in her life that would tell her otherwise. Like, for example, back in the 90s, right, we, the, the cool thing for girls at the time, makeup-wise, was to line your lips with brown eye color, like, eyeliner. Yeah, I got sisters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember right? this, yeah. The first time my mom saw us, her comment, her her comment to us was, "Why are you guys lining your lips like that? It looks like a chicken's asshole." Oh shit! And- you, know, you know what's funny? When I was doing your picture, your picture for the cover of the podcast today, um, yeah, I didn't change the tint to the 
to your lipstick and so it was outlined in that darker brownish almost looking color and i was like holy yeah. shit this looks like 90s mom girls dude and my <laughs> sisters because that's what it looked like back then and the super thin eyebrows bro i just started laughing at myself and i had to keep working <laughs> no you're exactly right that that's i mean my mom she was savage when it came to like telling us she wouldn't just like tell us please don't line your lips like that you know, it doesn't look good. Oh my God. She would say something so off the charts that it'll make you feel so bad deep inside and you will think twice about lining your lips again. Right. You know? Yeah, because you don't like want to wear around looking like a chicken. Okay, she had something to say about the thin eyebrows, too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she said when we we would, like, pluck all our eyebrows off and then just draw it in. And, right. You know, it wasn't such a big thing at, a time, at the time. Uh-huh. She'll say... Why'd you guys shave all your eyebrows off? You look like you're a cancer patient. We're just like, what, mom? Like, it's the style. You brought us terrible. to America. <laughs> you brought us here. Yeah. So, needless to say, she always had, you know, some sort of constructive criticism. So, um, do you, did you, as a kid, did you go to like the Hmong New Year's and all that stuff, like? Was it to, was it like it was here in Spokane? Like me growing up, there was Hmong New Year's every year, obviously, and oh, yeah. uh, yep. they would have the parties. That was, and... Yeah, that was like the biggest thing that we looked forward to every year. Yeah. In uh, California, I remember, like my mom, there were there were at the time I think there were like maybe five or six of us, maybe five. But I mean, back then she had to like she dressed us up in layers and layers upon layers of mom clothes. And as soon as she was done with one, that one had to go use the bathroom. So she had to unravel everyone and, like, you know, put the clothes back on. But, um, yeah, I I do distinctly remember my memories of um, the Hmong New Year in California. It was just a big park, and, you know, people were dressed up, and, you know, the ball-throwing ceremonies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The uh, song poetry and... The food, that was very distinctive. But, um, yeah, and then I moved to, ironically, when I moved to Minnesota, it just, to me, it just wasn't appealing. And I've probably gone to maybe two the entire time I've lived here. Uh, why? What did you not care for about it? You know, I think it's because it's so cold. In the winter time, yeah. and that's usually when the Hmong New Year takes place. Yeah, um, and you know, I mean, having to like go out there and find parking in the urban jungle. Oh, okay. Versus and, versus how it was in yeah, California. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and okay. it's just elbow to elbow and strollers rolling up on ankles. You yeah. know, I'm just like nah. Yeah, I, I'd I rather feel that. just like you know enjoy the Hmong market. You know, I mean, it's not the same thing, but. No, I get it. I I understand when you compare it to what it used to be and then what you got now. I totally get it. I actually thought about a long time ago when I first moved to Minnesota. I thought about a painting that I would do of the irony of the Hmong people being all dressed up in Hmong clothes and they're crossing the street in the city, you know, to go to celebrate their heritage. It so the contrast of the traditional Hmong clothing and then just being yes. in the city. That's funny. The city, I, yeah, the cityscape. I um, I, when I lived in California, you'd see a lot of 
those uh, Mexicans that are that look like the ancient Aztec Mexicans. And I've thought the uh-huh. same thing. It's like, dude, these people look like uh, Aboriginal people from, you know, 1000 BC and they're wearing Nikes. <laughs> So oh, I, yeah. <laughs> you know, like that. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah that, just like that. It made me laugh, bro. I was like, dude, these people look ancient, but they got Reebok jackets but on. But they're wearing modern stuff. Yeah. yeah just do. like, I mean, another painting that I started on, but I didn't finish, was um, just a typical St. Paul, Minnesota street. Because you know the long gatherings on the weekends, right? I'm sure you've been to some. Yeah. Yeah. So I was just going to draw a busy street or just a, you know, a street in a neighborhood of St. Paul with Hondas and Toyotas all lined up yeah. up and down the street. Because that's really, you know, what a Hmong party is if you're not familiar with one. Mm-hmm. And breakdancing. They still breakdance? <laughs> Every weekend, yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. Yeah, that's that's dope, dude. That's cool. I I need to... You make me feel like I need to hit up my friends because they're, they're just a couple hours away, so... It'd be nice yeah, you to should. go back and you see totally them. Totally should. I've been. And where are you? Where are you living? Uh, right now I'm in Coeur d'Alene. Uh, I'm moving back to Portland in G- in February, cause this is kind of like my home base. So Coeur d'Alene and Spokane is right next to each other, and um, oh, and yeah, they don't live too far, but is that where you met and grew up with Leah? Yes, I grew up with them in Spokane. Oh, okay. Yeah, I actually met Leah at a, um, it was like an artist get-together when we, oh yeah, um, the Minnesota Museum of American Art had just accepted a residency, and it's among artists from uh, Australia, which is very rare, right? Yeah, 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 that's weird. (laughs) Yeah, and so at the, we were seated at a table, like just randomly, because we were having dinner, and I sat across from uh, Anthony, the Australian artist, and then Leah sat next to me, and we were conversating. And then I think Leah had toured Australia too at one point. So yeah, he, they were in since. conversation about like the different foods and you know the culture and things like that in Australia. And I thought that was pretty cool. And then I met Leah's girlfriend Julie Vang, who's freaking amazing. Yeah, dude, I love, and so, I love you know, them so it, much. It's just crazy how we're all like somehow connected in the community of whether it be art or whether it be the fact that, hey, you know, we're just social creatures moving around, you know, navigating the landscape. Yeah. And I was, hey, who are you? You know, mm -hmm. like going back to your roots, because anytime I would, you know, anytime my parents would see people they haven't seen in a long time, they would start naming like the cities that they, you know, used to go to school to, you know, go to school in or like they'll start saying, oh, some random city. And they all knew exactly where they were from and who they were connected to and their lineage. Yeah, and that's what I always liked about Hmong people and, you know, just being around them because the community is so tight, dude. And it's almost like everybody knows everybody. If you go to somebody's uh, Facebook page, they'll have a thousand friends and 999 of them are Hmong people. Are mutual. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and they know. actually know each other. And so upon doing this podcast with you, I was like, you know, if I didn't, if I didn't meet, uh, you know, my friends from back, my Hmong friends from back in the day, I wouldn't be having a podcast with you right now. And then I started thinking about what led up to me actually wanting to do the podcast. And I just, I, I did a lot of thinking yesterday as far as, 
you know, where my life has brought me up until this exact point. That's cool. That's really cool. Yeah, Yeah, I do. You know, just like the publisher that I met with earlier, his name is John. Mm -hmm. And I want to say two years ago, uh, one of uh, a Lao uh, writer, playwright, her name is Mooks. She had approached me about illustrating her children's or her book because she wrote a poem that they wanted to make into a book. And so I, at the time, I honestly did not feel like I was ready. I I felt like, oh my gosh, this is huge. This is like someone telling me that they want me to paint like a 60 foot wall by myself. Like, no, I'm, you know, but at the same time, I was willing to be up for the challenge too. And so I, I actually was, you know, I, I talked to, to her about it. But then when she came back and said, hey, you know what, I'm going to go with this other artist. And I was so happy that she did because she went with Corey Lin, who's a Taiwanese um, illustrator. Amazing job, you know. Mm-hmm. I was so happy that she chose her. And then two years later, I'm approached by, you know, this publisher. And I'm like, hey, wait, didn't you publish this book? And he's like, oh, yeah, I've seen your name. I know your work. Like, I knew that you know, I knew that I loved your work. You know, I'm like, that's cool. And then he just asked me if I would be interested in illustrating a book that he wrote. I'm like, heck yeah, <laughs> I would love to. That's awesome. You know, that's so cool. That's that that's what it's all about, right? I mean, other than creating and being content with what you make, but just have having the recognition and being like, people notice and oh yeah, they appreciate attitude it. is everything. Yeah, attitude is everything. Have you done any murals? Uh, a mural? Yeah. Uh, I did paint a collaborative mural. So when I met Leah that night, uh, we were talking about a project that uh, Anthony was going to do, and um, I showed an interest in it because I'd never done it before. And plus, I was like, I need something to do. Uh, cool. So yeah. <laughs> we initiated the yeah, we initiated the um, the project. So it was all Hmong American artist with the leader which is the Australian artist and we collaboratively painted a mural in like lower town St. Paul which is amazing because I drive by there all the time oh and I see nice. my work nice that's good that's, that's cool I must feel really nice. yeah and which is you know it's all coming full circle too because then across the street from the mural is PBS which I've done a couple projects for and currently working on some projects with them too. And then just right next door is the show gallery, which I'm going to be uh, a part of uh, next month. So it's pretty cool. That's badass. So where, where do you, do you have a direction that you want your, your art to go or is it kind of already going in that direction? Do you just, do you just want it everywhere or? Um, I do wonder aimlessly, but, um, Ultimately, I would love to paint murals. Um, you know, my earliest memory of spray painting was, I don't, people don't really know this about me unless I've talked about it with them personally, but mm-hmm. I got into a lot of fights in high school, if you can imagine. Um, I got kicked out, and I ended up in an alternative school for, you know, troubled kids. Yeah. And I was, I was the best kid there because I did my work. I followed instructions, you know. It was so funny because every time I, we got off the bus, they would all give me their lighters because they would never check me. 
<laughs> and or you know i i wouldn't hold drugs because i'm like not yeah. about that but yeah it was you know they would just give me their lighters but anyway after school you know i would tell my dad hey dad i'm gonna go study at the library because it was within walking distance mm-hmm. and so i would tell him come pick me up at this time and so you know i i'm sure i didn't fool my dad at all but I would actually steal away with the delinquent kids that I was hanging out with and would go to the hardware store and jack spray paint and tag trains because we went along the train tracks where mm-hmm. I was from, my little town. Yeah. And I wasn't tall enough to reach the canvas, the train, so the, the carts. So they, I, I would actually have to be on someone's shoulders or they'd have to pick me up. <laughs> do a quick tag that's so fucking gangster <laughs> so dude that's like the, with some of the most gangster shit that i've ever heard of <laughs> it was it's so like, funny because you know what my tag was what's that skittles skittles <laughs> hells yeah it's like yo not only am i being illegal by spray painting this motherfucker but you're gonna hold me and you're gonna be a part of this because i can't reach dude yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's so sick I'm not very carry a step school out there. No. No, of course Cash not. You're coming with me. Yeah, that's dope. Um, I watched this cool documentary on uh, people who did graffiti and stuff like that. And there was something that, that happened with one of the guys that happens with actually a lot of them is when you when he started doing enough paintings, he uh, he's, he was based out of California and eventually he moved to New York. He did a painting on a train uh, once, and when he ended up moving to New York many years later, he saw that train pass by. And in that moment, he realized, this is why I do this. Because, you know, he just started sparking up this imagination like, dude, I'm seeing it now. Imagine how many people have seen it since before me seeing it again now. And I've always thought that was really cool. That stuck with me. That is pretty cool. That is, that's exactly, you know, how I feel about, um, so let me, like, there's, I've tagged my name in a green room of a concert venue because my brother had access. He, he, he was playing the show, and so he led us into the venue in the green room. He, mm-hmm. like, invited us back there. We had drinks, and, you know, there was a wall that all the different artists and bands had come through the theater. Yeah. And they would tag their names or write whatever. Yeah. So I wrote my name on the wall. And it just, I mean, to me, it, it meant everything. That I get to imprint my existence on this wall where people can see it and say, oh, who is this sea writer yeah. chick, you know? And I also did the same thing in uh, St. Paul. It, it was a mural that we were supposed to paint, but then some shit fell through. It got political. We didn't do it. We ended up not doing it, but not... Not so much in spite, but I was just like, hey, while we have this wall, let me write my name right here. Mm-hmm. So I wrote my name on the wall, and it's, in a, it's on a building. So it was so funny how people would pose next to it and send me pictures of my name oh, <laughs> on yeah. the wall. That's dope. That's cool, man. Yeah, dude, it's, it, it's, it's like your version of, of cave paintings, you know? I mean, it's there to be discovered later on by uh future. yeah like i'm here yeah this is who i am i'm not ashamed of who i am anymore <laughs> you know because you always go through those stages because i mean i didn't have the most beautiful life you know in my teen years that was like the worst that was kind of like your formative years you know 
yeah, that's we, who you're supposed to be when you are older. But you can either deviate away from that. You know, there's always like that departure where it's necessary, it's warranted. Yeah, yeah. And I'm glad that I took I took that stride and like I went the opposite direction of what I could have been in in a really bad situation. Mm-hmm. Well, it's it, it's it's so fucked up to be a teenager because one, you think you know it all because you're not a baby anymore. But you're still a baby because now at the age that we are, I think about what a teenager is now and they're just little children. Um, But you think you know it all, but you don't know anything. And then you're just bombarded with all these emotions and hormones and all these feelings. And you don't know what to do with any of it other than typically complain. But it's great to see when people just, you know, are a little bit more mature than others. And you know what to do with all that energy. Absolutely. You know, I feel like we had to kind of grow up. It was my parents never treated us like babies. Me neither. They always treated us like we were their counterpart, like we're a team, we're an army. Yeah, you know? we need to do this together. Like, you got it. You know, after we knew exactly what to do, after every meal, one person's assigned to sweep. You know, we all had our tasks that yep. we were assigned. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to this day, it has taught me so much about, you know, survival because they were always in survival mode because being an immigrant especially you know because you you had to seek asylum in a different country which is like completely different from where you you're used to right you know you have a different mentality you're always thinking about survival yeah and i've always i've always been kind of dumbfounded when i think dude when my parents came to this country they didn't know english nothing i mean we went straight from Puerto Rico, moved to New York, and then to Spokane. And they didn't speak any English. And it, it just blows my mind. Like, how did you guys do this? I mean, I understand. My dad worked his ass off a lot. And he was pretty smart. Oh, and he exactly. knew, knew how to they do a lot hard. of things. But, but yeah, I, you know, I, I don't remember ever seeing my mom that much. I saw my, my dad more than anyone. Mm-hmm. And he was the, he was always cooking for us and we were always helping him cook because then between, you know, we had to balance, um, homework and cooking and family life, you know, outside of school. Right. What was it like when, uh, you wanted to go to a friend's house or when you wanted a friend to come over to your house? What were your parents like when that I don't know why this crossed my mind, but what were they like when those situations came up? That did not exist. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. I just wanted to make sure because, see, that's why I think I got along. So, I got along with Hmong people so much because we grew up the, yeah, pretty much the same way. We have a yeah, different language, up, but it's the same. Generationally, way. in the '90s, like my generation, if you were a girl, unless your parents were progressive, yeah, you, you, you know, the moment you even mentioned that you're going to go to a friend's house, you got beat with a slipper because it was like. For us, my parents thought everyone was racist, and it's like you guys do realize that you're the racist ones, right? <laughs> but to them, oh, it was absolutely. like everybody was racist. They didn't like us. Nobody wanted us. Mexicans didn't like us because we were Puerto Rican and we're legal. We don't need papers. And the Americans don't like us because we're Puerto <laughs> Rican and we should right. be illegal and we shouldn't be in the country. So like everybody was racist, and they didn't like black people either because shit, man. Well, 
I guess, typical stuff. But yet, you still but, have the same struggle, you know? Ex- yeah, dude. It's like, you know, and you get older and you get this American mentality and you're like, dude, we're all the same. We're all just kind of going through shit and trying to figure yeah, it out. Yeah, and you know, above all of that, too, I mean, like, my dad was working at a Chinese restaurant. My mom and my grandma were always home making, you know, the pandao, like the embroidery. Mm-hmm. And we would just be unsupervised playing in the, you know, backyard and things like that. But, you know, I mean, ultimately what it boils down to is the fact that, you know, I didn't know that poverty existed. I didn't know that people were hungry because we never were hungry, even though we were so damn poor. Yeah. Yeah. That I, I would uh, I would feel like that was the same for us. We were always taken care of. We always had food. And and, you know, we had pretty good Christmases sometimes. And uh, I I personally feel like I had a pretty good childhood and money didn't really have much to do with it. Oh, absolutely. I mean, like, you know, like when you're a teen, like on on the uh, subject of being a teenager, an angsty teen, yeah. you know, you want to fit in, you want to find your place. And, you know, then when, once you realize that everybody else back in the day, was wearing, they were wearing filas, yeah, and you were dude. wearing filas, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I kind of talked about that on my last podcast. It's like when you're young, you you brag about the money that you spend. And when you get older, you brag about the money you didn't spend, you know? You could save. (laughs) Yeah, dude. (laughs) It's so funny how we Yes, that's very true. That is true. You know? I mean, I think that some things are perpetual. It will always be, you know? It's uh, it's always consistent. And every time you think back to it or when you realize it, you feel like it's a new thing, but it's really not. It's been pretty consistent throughout your life. Yeah, and history even, because I mean, humans are pretty simple creatures. We're 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 not too. It's not too complicated to figure things out. I guess it's just having those epiphany moments, like ah, okay, now I understand. Exactly. <clears throat> so, um, look, we've reached an hour and five minutes. Um. If you like, we can cut it here, or we can just keep. Opening. Can I plug? Can I plug? Yes, I. I was. <laughs> I have that written on as my last question. Uh, what do you want to plug? Your Instagram, Facebook, whatever. Sure. Um, you can find me on Instagram at C Writer. It's spelled X E E R E I T E R uh, on Instagram, and then I also have a website. It's cwriter.com. Same spelling. Okay. And you, I'm, I'm on Facebook too, but I feel like Facebook is more for like friends and family that yeah. I can like be closer to. Or, I mean, you know, I feel more forgiveness if people don't like my posts on Facebook because I'm like, oh, you're not about that life. Right. No. But on Instagram, you know, if you put artists, hey, art, I'm making fucking art, man. No, for Like sure. my shit. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to put that <laughs> on the Give me some encouragement. Yeah, I'll put that down in the the description. Uh, dude, thank you so much. Uh, I didn't know how this was going to go, but I know it wasn't going to go bad. So uh, I, re- I, re- <laughs> well, <laughs> I knew it that well. much. It did. It, it did. Well. And it's funny, bro. Like, I was waking up every half hour probably all night because I kept dreaming that I was waking up late and I disappointed you. And there was people in the house and I, I couldn't fucking record because it was loud. And Yeah, I was just I, I was uh, having myself a moment there all night. So. So yeah, thank you so much. Those are symptoms of a perfectionist. Well, that's that's good to know. Thank you. I appreciate that shit. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me on your podcast. Yeah, this is sick, and I don't see why we can't do this again. So, 
yeah, that's it's pretty cool. It's been pretty cool. Like, I mean, just having a relaxed conversation. I, I think it's a situational thing. Mm-hmm. I think if you're on stage talking about your life and your beliefs, it's a different thing because it's a little bit more censored and it's a little bit more. I mean, it's a, it's a wide audience. You don't know who the fuck is listening, but right, you're trying with the podcast, but. At least I'm in my element, and I was drawing the whole time that we were talking. Sick. That's great. Because I have a project due. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Well, see, that's really cool, man. And, yeah, it, it was super natural, and uh, that's kind of what I wanted this to be, so... So, yeah, thank you so awesome. much. Um, have a good rest of your day. Uh, this will be posted within the next half hour. I got to make an intro and uh, just uh, pretty much write down the what we talked about, and it'll be up in about 20 minutes or so. All right. Optimal legitness. Oh, dude. Optimal legitness. Peace out. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Okay. Bye. Bye.